Today, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to see you. God met us in wonderful ways, our, the first two services, and I know he's going to meet us uh, again. He's already met us. He's going to meet us some more as we open up Scripture together. Um, quickly, before I go into our message today, uh, in a couple of weeks on January, January, where am I thinking? Um, June uh, 12th, uh, we have our annual meeting. Our annual meeting is a time where members of our church, and if you're thinking about membership, uh, this is, applies to you as well, uh, we come in to remember the past year, also to anticipate what God has for us uh, in the upcoming year. And this year is going to be a little different. We're going to shorten the time that we usually give towards uh, vision and everything. And a good portion of our time is going to be to celebrate um, Peter and Myrna, Myrna Rodin. Um, Peter and Myrna have been here for many years. And, you know, typically people are celebrated when they leave, you know. Uh, we want to, they're not going anywhere. We just want to celebrate them. And so uh, this, I hear there's going to be a salsa band here. And so... Uh, yeah, so you want to register for that just so we can uh, get a sense of how much food to order and all that, but it's going to be a really wonderful time to celebrate them and honor them for over 25 years of being at New Life on staff and various leadership roles. Uh, also, next week we have uh, our Redeeming Sex Seminar. Deborah Hirsch is an author. She's going to be speaking next week, uh, just a powerful story of how God has uh, changed her and transformed her. And at, uh, that same night, next Sunday from 5 to 7.30, uh, she'll be speaking about the integration of sexuality and spirituality. And it's a really wonderful time. Uh, this past week, there was a lot of uproar with what happened, what came out of the White House with the whole transgender conversation and the bathrooms and everything like that. And so our country really needs, uh, we need language, good language and good theology to have good conversation with people. And so next week is going to be a really wonderful time to uh, hear her. So it's $10. Please register. Other churches are going to invite it and coming. It'll be a shame if all these Christians from other churches are coming and then we don't show up. And so uh, we can sign up downstairs uh, or on our website. Now, today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, in the Old Testament, yeah, there we go. Um, it was Barbara Brown Taylor, a noted preacher who said the church really has three feasts. Sadly, we only celebrate two of them. We celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter. And she said, and I agree with her, that we should be celebrating Pentecost Sunday as well. Uh, in the Old Testament, Pen uh, Pentecost Sunday was known as the Feast of Weeks, which was a prominent feast in ancient Israel, which celebrated the giving of the Law of Moses. The New Testament, we celebrate Pentecost for a different reason. We don't celebrate the giving of the law, but we celebrate the giving of the Spirit, given, poured out 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And so Pentecost literally means the 50th day. And we celebrate the outpouring of the Spirit. That's what we're going to focus on today. And my hope is that you would leave this building knowing that the Spirit has been poured out and God's hand is on you. And God wants to transform your life. And so you notice that the cross has a red cloth on there. Uh, because red is the, uh, the liturgical color. The church has used this color uh, to symbolize the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. That Just as Moses encountered God in a burning bush, 
we have been giving the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And so that's why we see um, red on the cross. And so let's look at our passage, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and they will prophesy. Let's pray together. I want to pray a a prayer that was given by a desert father in the 6th century as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. Just close your eyes and hear these words as we enter into this passage. Come, Creator Spirit, visit the minds which you have made and fill our hearts which you have created with heavenly gratitude. You who are called paraclete, gift of the Most High God, living fountain, fire, love, and ointment for the soul. May we come to know the Father through you and the Son as well. And may we trust you at all times and forever. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I've had uh, 20 years of experience in driving a car, and I think I'm a pretty good driver. I hit that person one time, uh, but (laughs) she was okay, and maybe I've gotten into one or two accidents, uh, but I digress. In the 20 years that I have been driving, uh, one of the things that I have not done really well is to learn about how cars actually run. I could probably count on two hands how many times I've lifted the hood. Um, But I've learned uh, over many multiple trips to the mechanic, I've learned a few things along the way. And one of the things that I've learned along the way is about this little object called spark plugs. Without spark plugs, our cars won't start. The spark plug ignites the engine and gets the car moving. And most of the mechanics that I've spoken to over the past 20 years have said that if the car doesn't start, the first thing that you check are the spark plugs. Because all a car needs, no matter how small or how large it is, all a car needs is a little bit of spark, and it will get going. And as I thought about spark plugs this week, I thought about Pentecost Sunday and I spoke about the Holy Spirit. I thought about the Holy Spirit because like spark plugs, the only thing that can get our lives going is the spark of the Spirit. And just like mechanics have said, if you find yourself stuck, if your life is not moving, if you are stalled in one area of your life or another, the first thing that we should be checking is our experience with the Spirit. And one thing is for sure, the Spirit of God has been poured out, and as a result, we are to live differently in the world. I love how Eugene Peterson, when he talks about Pentecost, he says, the core of Pentecost is the lived conviction that everything, absolutely everything in the Scriptures is livable. Not just true, but livable. Not just an idea or a cause, but livable in real life. Everything that is revealed in Jesus and the scriptures, the gospel, is there to be lived by ordinary Christians in ordinary times. And so you can't understand the gospel until you consider what happened on Pentecost Sunday. And so in this respect, the gospel is unequivocally Trinitarian good news. 
When we think about the gospel, we tend to think about the Father or the Son, but you can't understand the gospel until you understand what happened on Pentecost Sunday because on Pentecost Sunday, it is the return of God's presence in the coming of the Spirit to be with his people. You can't understand the gospel until you understand what happened on Pentecost Sunday. And so we see this in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see the coming of the Spirit, and we see what takes place in this passage, Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 17, we, we go there. And so uh, when we pick up in the passage, the disciples are, are waiting for uh, the gift of the Spirit that was promised by Jesus. And this is a very confusing time for these disciples because Jesus has, has, has confused them. Jesus has a way of confusing us sometimes, it seems. And Jesus, if you could capture uh, his ministry and his life with his disciples, Jesus really... Uh, talked about and, and really exemplified the presence of God and the absence of God. Presence and absence are two words that characterize Jesus' life. When Jesus comes, he, he, God comes in flesh in the person of Jesus, and Jesus comes to be with people. He calls disciples to himself. He's present with them. But then Good Friday comes. He's crucified, and as a result, he dies. And at that moment, he is absent from his disciples. The story doesn't stop there because three days later, he is present to them again because of the resurrection. And so for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus spends time with his disciples. He cooks them meals. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. He was present with them. He was absent to them. He was present again. They're probably thinking, finally, Jesus is back. We're going to be here forever. The kingdom of God has come. But then Jesus leaves them again. Because in the book of Acts, we see that Jesus ascends to heaven. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it is at that moment where the disciples are probably very confused. Are you staying or are you going? Are you here or are you not here? And so he's there, then he's not there, he's there, and then he's not there again. But when Jesus ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father, it's not about abandonment, it's about empowerment. Because unless Jesus goes, he cannot send the Spirit. But when Jesus goes, he sends the Spirit. And so Jesus' absence, his ascension, paved the way for another dimension of his presence. Because now Jesus would send the Spirit, and the Spirit would dwell among us. And not just dwell among us, the Spirit would dwell inside of us as well. And so this is the good news of the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in the midst of his people, even inside of his people. And so 50 days after the resurrection, the Spirit is poured out. And when the Spirit is poured out, the one who stands up to explain this phenomenon is the Apostle Peter. And I love that it's the Apostle Peter who gets up to explain what's taking place. Because just a month ago, Peter was the one who failed Jesus. Peter was the one who abandoned Jesus when Jesus needed him most. But after the Spirit is poured out, Peter speaks with power and authority. And I love that because God has a tendency of using people that have messed up. God has a tendency of using people that have failed. God has a tendency of never giving up on people, no matter what your past, no matter what your mistakes. In any given moment, God could use you in great power. And so the apostle Peter goes from denying Jesus to demonstrating the power of Jesus, and he explains the phenomenon which was taking place in the book of Acts at the first Pentecost Sunday. And this is how the story went. After the Spirit falls, 
the church starts speaking in many different languages. They start speaking in tongues. And the people from the surrounding nations that had come for all the festivals and the feasts begin to hear God's praises spoken in their language. They were not anticipating that. And so they come, something happens, the, the, the sound of rushing wind comes, the fires of, of tongues of fire sit on their head. They are speaking in languages and the nearby people say, what is God doing? What is God saying? And so the story goes that they say these words. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And some of them, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. And this, I love this line. It's only nine in the morning. I love that line. It's like Peter saying that if this was 3 p.m., then we could have a conversation because. But I love that. He says, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The scandal of this event was that all these people were prophesying. All these people were declaring God's truth. And this is scandalous because in the scriptures, prophesying was something that was, was reserved for special people. Prophesying was something that was reserved for Old Testament prophets, not the ordinary person. Specific people in the Bible would prophesy, but it wasn't always to stay that way. When the Spirit of God came, the prophet Joel said that there's going to come a day where the Spirit is not just for a select few, but the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It will be for everyone to prophesy. And we need to be reminded of this truth today because sadly, we don't live according to this promise. It's very easy for people to uh, believe that the power and life of the Spirit is only available for certain people. For the vast majority of Christians, we have a theology that says that only certain people are anointed. And usually the people that are anointed are people that are singing or preaching, and that's about it. But the Spirit is not restricted to those that are do stuff on Sunday morning. God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. There's no section in the church for anointed people and another section in the church for not anointed people. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are anointed. God's hand is on you. You are anointed. And so Peter quotes this Old Testament passage that says, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And just to make sure who he's talking about, he starts listing the candidates. The spirit comes to anoint people who are not candidates in the past. And so he says, the spirit breaks down walls that separated people. And whenever you see walls, uh, the, the, the Spirit wants to tear those walls down. Whenever you hear about walls on the news, know that the Spirit 
tears walls down. But I digress. He says, sons and daughters will begin to prophesy. And this is gender-inclusive language. It's not just men who the Spirit wants to use. The Spirit is poured out on men, and if the, you could see the, the, the accent, men and women. And this is a scandalous thing to say in a patriarchal society where this was happening. Men and women. This is why I was so moved last week as Marie and Fatima and Kim were sharing. They were speaking God's truth over us prophesying life over us, that in the midst of pain, in the midst of darkness, there is a God who is alive that we can trust. They were speaking, these women were speaking words. In that day, God says, not your sons and your daughters will prophesy. But that's not all. He says, your sons and daughters, and then he says, young men and old men. He starts speaking about generations. So he's speaking about gender first, and then he starts speaking about generations. The passage says that your young men shall see visions. And one of the reasons we work hard at New Life Fellowship to create environments for children and for preteens and for teenagers to hear God and to be shaped in Christian virtue is because we believe that the Spirit doesn't wait until you turn 17 or 18 before the Spirit gives you a license, before he can start using you. At any age, God can begin to use you. All God is looking for is available people, and we're trying to train our our young children and our teenagers that if you are available, God can use you. This is why I love the church that I came from. I became a Christian in a small 40 to 50 member church, but they believe that the Spirit of God could fall on anyone and use anyone if only you are available. And so he says, young men will have visions. This is why I love to see when young people are involved in leadership, when we have Paula leading worship and young governors doing community activism in our community here, when we see the campus ministry that's happening, it is God who says, there is no age that is too young for me to use you. Because spirit can use anyone at any age. I was reminded of this this past week with my daughter. As I've told you before, I have a hard time finding parking in my neighborhood. And it's one of the thorns in my flesh, you know, to use Paul's language in the book of Corinthians. Uh, It's a thorn in my flesh. And so one of these days, this past week, I was just circling and circling and circling and circling. There goes a spot. Oh, that's not a spot. And, And so I circled and circled and circled. And I got so frustrated and so impatient that I started, I, I, I texted Rosie and said, Rosie, can you have Karis, our seven-year-old daughter, pray that I would find a parking spot? <laughs> now, the reason I did this, this is, it can, didn't come out of thin air. The reason I did this is because there have been moments when Karis has been in the car with me and I can't find parking. And so after a few minutes, I say, Karis, honey, could you pray? And she goes, okay, daddy, I'll pray. <laughs> And she do a simple prayer. Lord, can you help my dad find parking? And two minutes later, boom, there's a parking spot. <laughs> now, the Jews would say that coincidence is not a kosher word. Um, and so you could chalk that up to coincidence. Um, but it's happened 
I've had enough of a sample size to know that God is doing something through my little girl. And so as I was driving alone, I have this good theology that you don't have to be close to pray to see something happen. You can pray from a distance. And so I said, honey, what, can you ask Karis if she can pray? And this is how the text message went. I said, can you tell Karis, I wasn't asking, tell her to pray that I find a parking spot. And Rosie goes, we just prayed. Karis led the prayer. This is less than one minute after she prayed. Found parking. And then look at my wife's face. No way. No way you found parking. I go, yep. And then Karis goes, I knew it. Like I knew it. <laughs> and I said, she's anointed. She is anointed. For those of you struggling with parking, my daughter will be downstairs for $5. I'll have her pray for you this week. So God's favor can just overwhelm you this week with parking. Peter says when the spirit comes, God is going to pour out his spirit and young people will have visions. And then he didn't stop there. He says, and, and, and old men will dream dreams. And this is fantastic because the spirit isn't just for the young. The spirit is poured out on everyone. So you might have retired from your job, but you never retire from the kingdom of God. Because God wants to use you whatever age you find yourself. Moses got his ministry started at 80. Abraham got started at 75. No matter how old you are, God wants to use you in great power. My young men will have visions. Old men will dream dreams. And I love that, the language of vision and dreams. It's almost like our imagination, our thought life has been saturated by God. That your dreams, what you dream at night and what you daydream throughout the course of the day, when the Spirit has come, your thoughts, your imagination, your mind has been saturated with God. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, but it doesn't stop there. He says, in addition, let me tell you who else are the candidates. He says, even my servants. And when he speaks about that, he's talking about socioeconomic realities. He's talking about people that don't have power in the world. He's talking about those that were rele relegated to being slaves. He's talking about those who have no income, those that have no connections, those who have no education, those that have no network. He's saying the spirit is going to work powerfully among those that have nothing, no power of this world. What the world can't give, God says, I will give them. And even on my servants, he says, that those that have no status in the world are uniquely positioned to be used by God. And this is why we, we, we believe we have community development programs. And this is why we are a church that crosses racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. Because we believe that God doesn't wait till you have a certain pay scale before he uses you. That God doesn't wait until you have a certain level of education before you can be used by him. That whoever you are, as long as you are available, regardless of your tax bracket or your education, the Spirit of God is poured out on you, and God wants to use you. And so this passage is filled with so much grace, the generosity of God. The Spirit is not poured out because you've been good. The Spirit is poured out because God has been good. The Spirit is poured out because God has forgiven us in Christ. It does not say... And when you are good enough, 
I will pour out my spirit. When you have prayed enough, then I'll pour out my spirit. When you have fixed your life up, then I will pour out my spirit. It is this unconditional pouring out that the spirit is generous. And when the spirit comes, he says it will be marked by dreams, visions, and prophesying. And I want to just focus on that last part, just the prophesying part. Because all of us in this room are called to prophesy. Now, we might think of prophecy as mainly predicting the future or seeing the future. And although God certainly moves in that way through some of his followers, Peter's not saying that because the Spirit is here, we'll know every detail about the future. To prophesy, I submit, is to bring forth God's life to bring forth his life and word for the unique time and place you find yourself in. To bring forth his life and his word for the unique time and place you find yourself in. Now, in the charismatic and Pentecostal traditions that I became a Christian in, we tend to focus on that second part, God's word. And we like to give a word here and there. And I love giving a word here and there. But I just don't want to give a word here and there. I want my life to be a word. I just don't want to give a prophetic word. I want to be a prophetic word. When when people see me, they see something of God. When people see you, they see uh, something that is not of this world. They see a life. They see a joy. They see a peace. They see a love. And so to prophesy means to bring forth God's life and his word in the unique time and place that we find ourselves in. And so the good news of Christianity, everyone, is that since the first day of Pentecost, God has always been pouring out his spirit. All, every single day, God is pouring. Right now, you might not be able to see it. Right now, God is pouring out his spirit on us right now bad news is we don't want to get wet. Every day God's pouring out his spirit. The bad news is we don't want to get wet. Actually, much of our lives is ordered around avoiding the downpour of the spirit. I like how Marjorie Thompson says, Marjorie Thompson, great author, she says, the only thing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ is our own unwillingness to receive the gift. The only thing that can separate you is your own unwillingness to receive the gift. And so we tend to live our lives covered with umbrellas. Covered with umbrellas. And um, I have an example to demonstrate this. We live our lives covered with umbrellas. Ella's, Ella's, hey. Some of you know where I was going with that, though. (laughs) Much of our lives is a strategy to avoid the downpour of the Spirit. We orient our lives in such a way to miss it. And so when we live a fast-paced life with very little margin, and we're going from one thing to the next to the next thing, and there's no time for stillness and silence to be with God, what begins to happen is the umbrella goes up. 
And we miss out all that God wants to give us. Now, for some of you that are very superstitious, you're probably thinking, Pastor Rich, be careful. You got the umbrella here. But we're Christians. Remember, we're Christians. We're Christians. We're Christians. I'm going to give a class on superstition or something like that. Whenever we live our lives unforgiven, with unforgiveness, we just, something happened and we just, we refuse to forgive. What begins to happen is the spirit is poured down, but it becomes an umbrella over us. We can't now experience the downpour of the spirit in our lives. Whenever we live our lives trying to control everything, living with certainty, I got to know this, I got to know that, I need total control in my life. And there's no room for the spontaneity of the spirit. What begins to happen is the umbrella goes up. And it might be raining on everybody, but it's not coming down on you. There's some relationships that we're in that's blocking the flow of God's spirit. Some just toxic, dysfunctional relationships that you find yourselves in, perhaps. And every time you just connect yourself to that person and to those ways, what begins to happen is the umbrella goes up and it blocks the flow of the spirit. Religiosity can become an umbrella. People can become an umbrella. Fear of the unknown can become an umbrella. And all these things keep us from experiencing the life of God. And so what God wants to do is blow the umbrella off. But all too often, we are too busy trying to hold on to our umbrellas. If you've ever been in New York City and in the, in the city there or Queens or wherever, Brooklyn, and there's a, a, a thunderstorm, and you've seen this before. Maybe you, you didn't realize it was going to rain that day, and you're in the city, and it starts downpouring, and you have $5 on you, and the person, I don't know how they just magically appear out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, there's an umbrella waiting for you. You give them $5, and usually a flimsy umbrella. The wind takes it. And it flips the other way, and you see people, they're just trying to get the umbrella to work. Maybe you've done this before, and you're like this here, the wind is blowing, and you're being poured on. Sometimes I just want to say, listen, I'm getting poured on as it is. I might as well just drop the thing and let the thing just come down on me here. And as I thought about these umbrellas that we tend to have, I thought about God wants to blow these umbrellas off of us. Because he wants us to experience a life with him. He wants, listen, the spirit is always pouring down. But often we don't want to get wet. And so the invitation of Pentecost Sunday is to let yourself get wet. God wants to pour out love on you. And some of you have had a hard time letting anyone love you. Maybe you live your life guarded and fearful. Maybe you had some hurtful or traumatic experiences. Maybe you seen something if your parents and someone took advantage of you or what have you, or maybe you saw something, but, but you don't let anyone in, not even God. Pentecost Sunday is an opportunity for us to lower our umbrella, to let the love of God begin to wash over you. God wants to pour out his power over you. And some of you have had a hard time maybe stepping out, risking, stepping out in faith to do something that you know God is calling you to, but it's going to be a, a very difficult decision to do. But God has power for you that he wants to rain down over you. 
Some of you are very creative. God has given you dreams and visions, but you have not done anything with those dreams and visions. God wants you to lower the umbrella so that his spirit can pour down on you. God has peace for you. Some of you live with great fear and anxiety, fearing fear and being anxious about being anxious. And God has peace waiting for you. You can't live the life God has for you without receiving the outpouring of the Spirit because it's not enough to be just saved. God wants to saturate you. God wants to overwhelm you with his love and with his power and with his peace. It's, not, it's just it's not enough to be so-called saved. He wants to saturate you. One of my favorite images of this is in the classic movie, The Shawshank Redemption. This movie came out in 1994, and it's a story about a man who is falsely accused, his, uh, uh, falsely accused of killing his wife. And he's thrown into prison for life. And after many years, he escapes. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie, I'm just going to spoil it right now. You had 22 years to watch the movie, um, <laughs> and so I'm just going to just spoil it for you right now. After a while, it's just like, listen, you had two decades to watch this thing. By the way, Darth Vader is Luke's father. I uh, just wanted to just let you know that there, too. You had 30 years or something like that for that. Maybe it's going to start spoiling everything right now for some of you. Get your act together, people. In the story, the guy, <laughs> in the story Tim Robbins, he, start, he, he creates a little hole in the prison cell. And he works on it over and over and over and over again until the time where he's able to escape this prison. And there's an epic scene in the movie where he's getting out of this prison and it's the feces and the vomit and, and, and it's just the nastiest thing. He's getting out of this tunnel and he emerges out of this tunnel and there's this beautiful image where, where he just stops and it's a beautiful uh, symbolism there where he gets out, he takes off his prison shirt as if to say, this is a thing that has identified me for way too many years. And he just takes off this prison shirt, and, and all of a sudden, he just waits, and it's downpouring down, and this is the image at the, towards the end of the movie, that he's just there being refreshed, that the outpouring of this rain is on him, and he's just receiving the refreshment that this rain is offering him. He stops to just take it in. And as I thought about that, I thought about the life of Christianity and the story of Christianity that for many of us, we believe that it's, it's just enough to get us out of prison. We believe all we need to be is to be forgiven. But God doesn't just want to forgive you. God wants to fill you. He just doesn't want to save you. He wants to saturate you. He wants his very life to so permeate your being in the deepest part of your life that it changes you from inside out, so much so that you begin to prophesy, carry his life, and offer his word to the unique place and time that you find yourself in. And so the spiritual life is about how do I let this umbrella go? Every time we pray, the spirit of God is raining down on us. When we take time to be silent, to enter into solitude, to be still and know that he is God. Every time we're silent, the, the, the rain of the Spirit is falling on us. Every time you open Scripture to read and you do it with an open heart, the, the rain of the Spirit begins to saturate our being. 
Every time we enter the small groups and to ministry and serving and volunteering, it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to rain down on us. And it's easy for us to feel forgiven or be forgiven, but not be filled with the life of God. And God, on this Pentecost Sunday, doesn't just want to remind you that you're forgiven. He wants to remind you that the Spirit of God is available for you to fill you, to saturate your very life. And he, he pours out his spirit so that we may prophesy, to carry his life and carry this word. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, God has called you to speak his life and to be this life. And so when you go into work, God wants you to prophesy at work. Now, to clarify, I don't recommend that you say to your boss, thus saith the Lord, you know, give me a raise. Boss might say, thus saith, you're fired. You know how I word like that there. <laughs> but to prophesy in the workplace means that you work differently. You relate to your coworkers differently. You don't gossip like your coworkers do. Your quality of work is different. You're creating and you're shaping. I love that the first time that the Spirit of God in the Old Testament uh, anointed someone, filled someone, it was not a religious leader. It was not a priest. It was not a prophet. It was a craftsman. It was an artist who were working on the temple. God is basically letting us know that he wants to anoint you for the ordinary task and ordinary work you find yourself in. And God has called us to prophesy at work. God has called us to prophesy, to carry his life in our home life, in our married life, that we are to be men and women who carry God's life and his word to each other in our friendships. The words we speak, we're speaking life over people. We're speaking encouragement over people. We're not tearing people down. We're building people up. God has called us to prophesy, to carry his life, to carry his word. In this political season, God has called us to prophesy. God has called us to, to offer the life of God, the word of God, that we are different than the world and how the world intersects in the political process. We speak truth, but we speak grace with truth. And we don't demonize, and yet at the same time, we, we say whatever's not right is not right. We're called to be different in the world. And God knows as November comes and this general election comes, the world is dying to see a different model than what we're seeing in the news. God is looking to see a community that refuses to be uh, uh, dominated by this partisanship. And by being this or that, we're not this or that. We're the people of God. We're followers of Jesus. We will never fit into a category like that because the spirit of God has been poured out on us. And so we're different. In our leadership, God is pouring out our, his spirit on us. I love hearing the story of Rick and Gigi going out to the Philippines. God's hand is on them and you're seeing the fruit that's coming out. God is giving them an opportunity to prophesy to carry his life and his word. The reality is everyone in this room, if you belong to Jesus, God's hand is on you. He's anointed you. And as Pete said a couple of weeks ago, you are sent. But not only are you sent, you are sent in the power of the Spirit. And the church said, amen. amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes. You have the worship team come forward. The 
The question is, what's your umbrella? What's the umbrella in your life today that's blocking the flow of God's spirit over you? Maybe it is your pace of life that's totally out of control. Maybe it is some unforgiveness. Maybe it is just some sin you've been holding on to. Maybe it is fear and control. What's the umbrella that this, the wind of the Spirit is looking to blow away today? I want to give you a moment just to consider that for a moment, then we'll close with singing. But how have you blocked the flow of the Spirit? We just want to offer that to God and say, Lord, would you blow this thing away so that I would experience your life and your joy and your love and your peace in fresh ways on this Pentecost Sunday. So let's just pause for a moment and then we'll sing together. Father, you have sent the Spirit to be poured out on us so that we would experience the life that you have. And so, Lord, I pray on this Pentecost Sunday, this is an annual reminder that we, without your power, can do nothing. And so, Lord, you're already pouring down in this place right now. Help us to live with a posture of receiving. May we offer what you give us to the world around us. We sing to you now words of worship and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, let's all stand and let's sing together. It's a good prayer to pray this. May we become more aware of your presence. God is always being poured out. His spirit is always being poured out. The question is whether we see it or not. Lord, may, may you open our eyes so that we may see the ways that you're moving in our midst. When setback comes, Lord, give us eyes to see how you're poured out right now. When joy comes, Lord, help us to see it. And when there are ups and downs, God's spirit is being poured out we have eyes to see it. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. And maybe today um, you're stuck like that car I began with. You're stuck. You're stalled. There's an area of your life. You're seeing no movement. And you need, you need a little spark today. Life of the Spirit. And this is why we have prayer because prayer becomes an opportunity. Uh, there's a unique um, release of God's Spirit when we pray for one another. 
something that happens when we intercede for one another as brothers and sisters. And so for whatever area of your life that is lifeless, that you're stuck, we'd love to pray for you. And we have the Lord's table here that we are reminded that the only way that the Spirit came was because it came through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus Christ died on our behalf and resurrected in power and he sends the Spirit. So when we come take bread and we dip it in the cup, we are reminded of God's love for us. That not only would he die and resurrect for you, but he would pour out his spirit as well. And so you can come to take that as well. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. That you would know that the good hand of the Father uh, rests on you today. That his love is available. And at the end of our service here uh, downstairs, we, uh, Rick and Gigi, they'll be downstairs in the yellow room. So for those of you that want to connect with them and... Um, just encourage them for the incredible work that they're doing. Just to connect, you can do that down in the yellow room right before uh, you head out of this building. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to his love. May you be aware of all the ways that the Spirit of God is being poured out on your life in this season of your life. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.